If you have your Bible, just take them and open them to Ephesians 1. That's what we're going to look at today. And those of you that have kind of been trekking along over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the power of big God to save. And, and today is the fifth and final message on that specific mini-series, but it's intentional in that hopefully uh, all the questions you have have not been answered about salvation, and that there will be some dynamic tension in that spiritual journey, that you will grapple with that, uh, that you would understand that, that uh, uh, the easiest thing in the world that you have probably ever done is, is walked 80 feet down an aisle and took a bad breath preacher by the hand and declared that you wanted to join the church, and you thought that was it. And you realize, no, it wasn't. That what needed to change in your life was your life. I have no authority. I had no power to, to change your life. But God does. And as we walk through this whole idea of salvation, this understanding that, that knowing Jesus and knowing the liberty that comes from knowing Jesus and knowing the grace of God and the peace of God that comes from knowing Jesus changes everything. That if we're not careful, we sit soaking sour. That's what we do. But what would happen if we sat and soaked in what God is doing and then just became empowered instead of souring? So as we walk through no understanding the power of a big God to save, and he is that big God, and he has the power to save our life. We talked about over the weeks, the importance of that big God that saves us. It changes everything. You know, I was reminded of a story that I read or reread this week uh, about a, a West Texas farmer that had never really even been to town uh, in Odessa until they had built a three-story building. It'd been years since he'd been there. So he and his son and his wife, they got together and they made the trek into Odessa. And, and, the, and the father and the son went over to that tall building and stood in the foyer of that building. And as the wife was over in the mercantile place buying stuff, and, and they saw what they'd never seen before or dreamed they'd ever see. They saw an elevator. And they didn't even know what it was. What they saw was an elderly lady standing at a watching and waiting for something to open. And then ding happened. It opened up. She got on it. She went up and they stood there in amazement. And then after a little while, the elevator came back down. And this time when it opened up, it was a gorgeous 20-year-old woman that got off. And that old farmer reached over there and grabbed his son and said, go get your ma. Hurry up. Go get her. You know, the whole idea is that what went on was not what got off. See, that is how radical the Christian life is, isn't it? Is that what we were, we're no longer. We used to be that, but we're not that no more. We have been redeemed. Our life has been transformed. We've understood what it meant to be that, that presence of God that works in and through our life. And today, the message is on eternally saved. I realize that just the thought of eternal salvation creates a lot of question marks, especially if you have been a lifelong Baptist, maybe not a lifelong Christian. 
Because I tell you, the rub on Baptists are this. Oh, y'all believe y'all can be saved and live any way you want to. No, we don't. We do not believe that. We do not subscribe to that. We believe that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and he takes the title deed of your life, you belong to him. And whatever you do from that moment on is either going to bring one or two things in your life. Unbelievable joy or unbelievable sadness. You cannot have gladness and disobedience. And if you are obedient to God, you cannot live in perpetual sadness. You can find a sweet spot in a hard place. But it's going to be found in Him, right? So today I'm going to walk through some things about what it means to be eternally saved. And we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 in the passage. And it goes like this in, in Ephesians 1. In him you also were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance unto the redemption of the possession, to the praise of his glory. What he tells us there is that, that in Christ Jesus, if we are eternally saved, we are eternally secure. I mean, what is the big problem in the world today? Insecurity. What is the big problem in our families today? Insecurity. What is the big problem in a lot of Christian churches today? Insecurity. What does the Bible say, tell us that is the big motive of God saving us? It's giving us eternal security. That we can have security. That we don't have to constantly wake up and wonder if this is going to be a bad day for God and a bad day for us. And if they're going to collide at the same time. No. We can live our life knowing that we are eternally secure in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us right there in that text. He says, in him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word. In other words, there is a responsibility in this text. The responsibility is that God saves us before the foundation of the world. But he tells us this is how we flesh that out. We hear the word. We hear what God says. The Bible tells us that we are to hear the word of God. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. We hear the word of God. Our lives are changed because of that which we have heard. God's word changes everything in our life. God's word gives us the right instruction for our life. God's word tells us the truth about our life. And truthfully... We don't like the truth. We would rather not have the truth. Tell me what I want to hear. Don't tell me what I need to hear. And see, the reality is that salvation changes the game completely. And we understand that that security comes from the word of truth. And what is the word of truth? He tells us, for since, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who belong through the foolishness of the message that he proclaimed. What is the message? 
The message that is proclaimed is the gospel. What is the gospel? He says, I passed on to you this importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. What is the purpose of hearing the word of God? Everything hinges on the word of God. We know eternity, not on how we feel, but we know eternity based upon what God says through his word, through the word of God. This past week, there was a guy that spent the night at Bucky's in the parking lot. He woke up in that horrible car and sitting in the parking lot. He and his girl is separated and, and he works at a plant up around Lincoln and and he's still out on his work clothes. And, and he was just thinking about how miserable his life was. And how he just had no reason to live whatsoever. I just don't feel like I have a, a reason to live. And I didn't even know what to do. So I just started driving up from Bucky's. And I drove through Leeds. And I came and I saw some cars parked at your church. And I, I buzzed in. And, and then we sat down and we talked. And I'm going to tell you, you just couldn't make this up. The man had tried everything that this world had to offer him. And he was bankrupt. Everything in his world was upside down. Everything in his life was just miserable. He had no hope whatsoever. And he didn't know me from Adam's house cat. And we sat in the faith rider room and we were talking about the gospel. And I was reading him the Bible. And I said, tell me, James, tell me, James, what is it? What is it that you really want, James? He said, I want what you've been reading to me. I want what's there. I want what you read to me in the Bible. I want that in my life. It wasn't like I was jerking things out of my rear and then just trying to ad lib and make it up on the fly and just tell him something that, that would guarantee a response. No, I was just reading him the Bible. Stumbling through some of it with the small print of that by and he said, I said, What do you want? I want that. I want James. I want that. For a kid that never grew up in church, for a kid that grew up in Hope, Alabama, never grew up in church, never went to church much, grew up in a broken family. It just took that brokenness in his heart and that misery of a wasted life. To put him in a position where God could do something in him. See, sometimes it's that brokenness that is the doorway to hope and peace in Jesus. Because we don't realize he's all we need to. He's all we got. And when he's all we got, then we realize all along he was all we ever really needed, right? That's what we have in Jesus. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I, and, and I will raise him up on that last day. Listen, he said, don't he just hear the word of God in verse 13. He says, in him you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of God, the truth, the gospel of your salvation. See, it's more than just hearing the word of God. It's believing it. It's putting our confidence in what he said. 
and what his word declares to us. That is the gospel, right? The gospel is the good news, but there is no good news apart from bad news. When Romans says the wages of sin is death, that's bad news. But when the Bible says the gift of God is eternal life, that's good news. But what comes before the good news? The bad news. And what do we need to do to get out of the bad news? God deals with our heart. He opens our heart. And we believe. We hear the truth and we believe the truth. And that truth begins to transform our life. And we believe that which transforms our life. The book of James tells us in James 2.19. It reminds us that, that, that we cannot just have a casual ascent to knowledge. It says that, that even the devil believes and he trembles. But you know to believe the truth is to receive the truth. So you, you hear it, you believe it, you receive it. That's that simple. I receive the truth of God. I embrace it as God's truth to my life. I believe that truth and that truth separates me from the demons of hell in James 2.19. Because they believe, but no, they don't receive. I receive that truth. And our lives are changed because we receive that truth. And then not only are we eternally secure, but we are eternally sealed. Listen, listen to what he says. He says, in, all, in him also you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance unto the redemption of the possession, to the praise and the glory of God. What is the presence of God's purpose in our life? The presence of God is to make us authentic. We are saved not from the outside in, from the inside out. God does something in here that re results in actions out here. We live differently because our heart has been changed. See, we have a hard, hard sale if we're trying to tell people, I tell you what, if you would just stop doing this, this, and this, you'll feel a lot better about your life. If you didn't drink, smoke, do drugs, if you didn't, you didn't run around, if you, if you just stopped all of that, you'd feel a lot better about your life. And, and they, they read right through that. No, no. I stopped it and I feel miserable. No. It's the Spirit of God. The endowment, the, the power of God that's poured out in our life it is the seal of God that authenticates us and gives us the genuineness of our life that we do not have to be a fake or a phony. We can be the real deal in Jesus. We become the real deal because we are eternally sealed in the presence of Jesus. He seals our life. He takes over our life. So when the world puts its pressure on us, and it will, what comes out of us is what we're filled with. And we realize that. And those of us that are Christians that realize that, we know how anxious and how aggravated we are when the world does what it does. And we do what the world expects us to do. We act like the world and we know that's not right. How do we know that's not right? It's the Spirit of God that sealed us. It's the Spirit of God that says, listen, you're better than that. 
In fact, you're different from that. I have marked you with my presence. I've marked you. You belong to me. When Paul wrote in Galatians, says, Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when, when Paul wrote in his epistles and he said, I am what I am. I am the Duminus of God or Dulius of God. I am the slave of God. Paul wrote to a culture that understood exactly what a slave meant. We know slavery from Uncle Tom's cabin, but Paul really knew what slavery was. And in the culture in which Paul lived, slavery was rampant. And guess what? Not all slaves had it bad. Most slaves, in fact, a large portion of slaves had it really good. Because they had a good master. How did they mark their slaves? Cut their ear, put a ring in their nose, put a ring in their eye, put a, put, put a tattoo on them at times, put a brand on them. But some way that all identify that that person belongs to me. And when Paul says, I bear in my marks, my body, the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, Boy, what I'm saying is that what you see in me is what he's done. God's done this. I bear in my life the marks of Jesus. That's the sealing of the Spirit of God in our life. That's the beauty of knowing that God has sealed us, that we are now owned by God and he is our master. And he is an amazing master. And we just need to be a subservient slave to our master. That security reminds us of what we've talked about over these last four weeks, five weeks today. That in Christ Jesus, because of that sealing of God that he does in our life, we're giving something. We're giving a constant reminder that our past is done. I don't have to go there no more. If I go there, it's on me, not him. If I go back that way, it's not what he wants me to do. I'm doing that on my own volition. I'm doing that by myself. God will not lead me in the path of unrighteousness for his name's sake. He will lead me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, right? So the Spirit of God in me, the sealing of God's presence in me, reminds me that that past is finished. And what I have right now is what all of us should have as we are Christians. We have this wonderful present. And that wonderful present says in him we have redemption. In verse 7 of chapter 1, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on all of us with all wisdom and all understanding. In other words, I am so stinking rich, I don't even know how rich I am. I am as rich as rich can be. There's nobody got anything up on me as a Christian because I'm rich I'm rich in Jesus I'm rich in assurance I'm rich in peace I'm rich in grace I'm rich in Jesus he says that in him we received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the, uh, of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. That we who have already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. 
In other words, our future is what our future is, that everything about our life is bringing praise to the glory of God. In John 14, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is given to me is greater than all, and no man can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father of one. I am the Father of one. He says that you are in my hand. Jesus said, you're in my hand. You are good. You're secure. You're sealed. You're mine. You will forever be mine. Your future is bright because you are in me and I am in you. And you are eternally saved. You are eternally secure. And you are eternally sealed. And you've done so by the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. James didn't drive up that hill from Bucky's on his own. God broke that man's heart in that parking lot. That man did a lot to break his own heart, but God broke his heart over something bigger than just the fact that he wasn't sleeping with the girl that night. Or he didn't have a place to wash his clothes. God broke his heart about something bigger than that. God broke that boy's heart over the fact that he had tried everything the world threw at him. And all he had was nothing. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel of our salvation. That's what it means to be saved. Is that we could be trophies of his grace and live our whole life knowing that we're living for some good reason. And that is to bring glory to God. And our whole life is a reflection of what God is doing and has done and will do. Because God's not finished. God is writing every chapter of your life. And all God wants us to do is surrender everything we have to the master. To the master. Let's pray. For these next moments, this is something that only you can do today. Nobody can do it for you. Can you acknowledge the fact that Christ Jesus died on the cross for your sins? He was buried, and on the third day, he was raised to life for the forgiveness of your sins, to conquer the grave, to conquer your life. Can you agree with God today that, God, I believe the truth about your son? 
I hear it. I believe it. I receive it. I embrace it. I drink it in, God. I, I accept the living water to just to pour through me. I accept you, oh God, to take ownership of my life. I accept the fact, God, that, that, that I can't be good enough long enough to get to you one day. So you today, Father, you come to me. And Lord, I give you me. I give you me. I give you me in exchange for the life that you want to pour through me. So maybe this, this morning, that's the cry of your heart today. Says, yes, Jesus. All of me to you today. Hold nothing back today. It's all of me to you. I trust you completely. For these next few moments as we um, Nathan leads us in an invitation. If you need someone to pray with you, pray for you. You've been going through these last few weeks and you've come to realize that, hey, I am saved. But, but I'm just sadly saved. I'm not gladly saved then that's an obedience issue in your life. God doesn't just save you to do what you want. God saves you to do what he pleases to do through you. So maybe there's an obedience issue. Maybe there's a public declaration that needs to happen today. So as Nathan leads us, Whatever it is, if you need to come and kneel at this altar or just bring a friend with you, then you come.